Jesus tonight. We pray that you would teach and lead us. We don't just want to hear. We don't just want to grow in knowledge, Lord. But we want to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word. And as we just hear this, Lord, help us apply this to our lives to go out there to where we live, to where we work, to make an impact for you in whatever sphere of influence we have to represent you. And I just want to thank you for these people that came out tonight and just pray, Lord, that their hearts are open, their ears are open to what you have to say. We lift this up in your name. First Chronicles chapter 6. If you weren't with us last week, we started our study in the First Chronicles. And we said the first nine chapters of Chronicles was all a genealogy. But I tell you, there's these little nuggets in there that are amazing. Some of the verses that we mentioned last week, just to kind of remind you of why would we do this? Why are we going to spend here a week going through these hundreds and hundreds of names? And remember correctly, we said there's two reasons for that. The first one, Jesus said in the Gospels. That every word is important. Not every word. He even said every little jot and every little tittle. And the idea is that means like the dotting of the I or the crossing of the T. Even those little tiny details are important. And the Lord says this whole book is written about Christ. And number two, Paul wrote in Corinthians how these guys were given to us as an example. An example of what to do and also an example of what not to do. So as we go through these names, we can learn from them and say, okay, I can apply this to my life and learn hopefully the good, the bad, and the ugly from this. So these are not just names. These are important names for the Lord to sit down and say, I want to report these people and the blessing that they are. So your Heavenly Father looks at these people and says, I want for all of eternity these names written down for the blessing of serving me. What a blessing that is. So tonight we're going to do our main focus on a group of people called the Levites. The Levites. Now, this is important for us. Because the Levites were part of the Old Testament priesthood there. And they were part of the group of people that got to serve the temple. But you know what? That kind of applies to us today. If you're a note taker, you write these verses down real quick. 1 Peter 2.9. 1 Peter 2.9. But you, God is speaking to you. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I want you to put that on your next resume. You are a priest. Now, what temple do you serve at? Well, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Never think about that. God says you're part of a priesthood. And that's just not an obscure verse. He mentioned this numerous times. Listen to this passage out of Revelation. This is Revelation 1, 5 through 6. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, and be glory and dominion forever and ever. What did the Old Testament priests do? They were kind of a go-between between man and God. They represented the Lord's rules and regulations on this earth, but also at the same time, they helped the people approach God with sacrifices. The Bible says that we are ambassadors of Christ. And when you go to work tonight, tomorrow, or whatever, you, you are representing Jesus Christ as an ambassador, and you are a priest. And you're the priest of this temple that the Holy Spirit has decided to live in. So as we read about these Levites and this priesthood, don't look at this and say, okay, this is Old Testament stuff that doesn't matter to us. This stuff matters. Because everything that happened back in the Old Testament, according to Hebrews chapter 8, is a shadow of the things that are rare in heaven. 
So when you read about these rules and regulations and, you know, what did the utensils look like and the temple look like, Hebrews says, guys, those are a shadow of what that heavenly temple looks like. How amazing is that? So when we read about these priests and Levites, that's a picture of us serving Jesus Christ. And you are not just a mom or a dad or what have you. You are a priest, a royal priesthood that serves Jesus Christ and your temple on a daily basis. And that's what sets the tone for this today. So now we need to talk about the Levites. Why were the Levites the ones chosen? Let's just do a quick little Old Testament review, if you would, with me, please. Go to Genesis 34. Let's talk about the tribe of Levi. Keep in the back of your mind as you go through this. You are this priesthood. So as we learn about this Old Testament priesthood of Levi, how does this apply to us, and how can we apply this to our walk with Christ? So, here in Genesis 34, you have something called the Dinah incident. Now, Dinah was the daughter of Jacob. And what happened was, there was this man that fell in love with Dinah here in Genesis 34. And his man's name is Shechem. <laughs> and so Shechem says, I want this woman as my wife. So what happens? He comes and takes Dinah. And as he takes Dinah, he rapes her. Now, you got to remember, Dinah has 12 brothers. And these 12 brothers don't very much so take this lightly. And two of them, specifically, Simeon and Levi, decide to take matters in their own hands. Dinah's kind of held hostage with this guy Shechem. So now the people of this town want to intermarry with the rest of them. Well, Simeon and Levi have this little plan. They come in Genesis 34, and they come to this town with these people and say, Listen, we'll let our people intermarry with you, and you can intermarry with us. But there's this one more regulation you got to do, and you got to be circumcised. So once you get circumcised, and all your men are circumcised, then we'll let our people intermarry. Verse 15. But on this condition, we will consent to you. If you will become as we are, every male who is circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to us, and we will dwell with you. We will become one people. But if you will not eat us and be circumcised, then we'll take our daughter and be gone. Well, they agree to these terms. So all the guys decided, hey, we're going to go ahead and get circumcised. Now, can you imagine verse 20, Hamar and Shechem coming to the rest of the men in the city? Verse 21. These men are at peace with us. Therefore, let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For indeed, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to our blessed wives, and us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men consent. Can you imagine your ears not working up? What's the one condition? You have to sacrifice. Now, I don't know why they agreed to it, but they agreed to it. We kind of actually do know why. They wanted to have this business relationship. So these guys said, fine, we'll go ahead and do this. Now, Jump ahead, verse 25. Now it came to pass on the third day when they were in Cain, that the two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, by his brothers, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. That's Levi. So what happens is you raped our sister, you kind of held her hostage, so we did this fake little deal with you. You guys get circumcised, they all get circumcised. Three days later, Simeon and Levi show up, everybody's in pain, they're not able to put up a fight, and Simeon and Levi come and kill all the men in town. That's the Levites. Now, God doesn't forget this. Stay in Genesis, jump ahead to chapter 49. So in Genesis 49, 
when Jacob is giving out his blessings for boys, he gets to Simeon and he gets to Levi. Genesis 49, verse 5. Simeon and Levi are brothers, instruments of cruelty, are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their counsel, let not my honor be united to their assembly, for in their anger they slew a man, and their self will the hands from an ox. Cursed be their anger and his fear, and in their wrath for his cruel, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So their punishment is you guys will be dicked, uh, excuse me, scattered about, you guys are instruments of cruelty, we want nothing to do with you. That's exactly what happened. Simeon eventually just kind of disintegrates as a tribe. As you start reading the different genealogies and numbers, they just start to disappear and they eventually just get absorbed by other tribes. Now Levi don't have any land. They don't get any territory. They don't get any land. They don't get any cities. But something else happens to them. One more verse. We'll bring this together. Go to Exodus 32. Levi, they get back in God's good graces. They get back in God's good pleasure. What do they do? Well, Genesis 32, Moses and Joshua come down from the mountain. After Moses has received the Ten Commandments, he comes down, and there's the party of all parties going on. You remember what happened? The Israelites had taken all the gold, and they formed this golden calf, and they started worshiping it. Now, we shouldn't say they formed the golden calf, because Aaron is one of the greatest lines in the entire Bible. Remember what he said? We just threw the gold in, and got the stuff came out. The calf just came out. It just came out. That's all that happened, Moses. We don't even know what happened. We took the gold, we melted it, we smelted it, we threw it in, and this calf just kind of came out. And all of a sudden, we decided that this is the God that brought us out of Egypt, so we all worship the calf. That's, Aaron needs to work on his excuses a whole lot better. So, Moses is angry. God is angry. Verse 25, Exodus 32. Now when Moses saw the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to shame among their enemies, Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. Who shows up? Verse 26. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. They have an opportunity to prove themselves. Verse 27. He said that thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from entrance to entrance throughout the camp, and let every man kill his brother. Every man is companion, and every man is neighbor. So the sons of Levi did it according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men and people fell that day. And Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, that he may be stolen you a blessing this day. For every man is opposed to his son and brother. Now Levi's back in. Now don't overlook that passage. Look at what Levi had to do. Put a sword on, walk through this big party, start killing people as a representation of God's judgment. Now, there's a lot of points we can make on this. First one's first. If God has called you into ministry to ministry, it's not easy. Now, I don't think God's got enough to put a sword on and go walk around and kill people. But it's not easy. And by the Levites being willing to do this, it shows their heart was devoted to the Lord and their heart of service was devoted to the Lord. And because of that, now, verse 29, consecrate yourself back to the Lord. You give yourself back to God, and God is now going to use you. And now they get to be used as this amazing group of people. They get to serve in the tabernacle, and they get to serve in the temple. Just remember this little saying, all the priests were Levites, but not all the Levites were priests. Let me say that one more time. All the priests were Levites. Every priest that served in the Old Testament was from the tribe of Levi. But not all the Levites were priests. The 
because only the descendants of Aaron got to be the actual priest. And we'll get to that point in a little bit. So just follow this. Our first point, your priesthood, your part of this priesthood, your job is to serve the temple, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. What we see in the Old Testament is a shadow of things to come, a shadow of heaven. And we see the Levites, who were instruments of cruelty. They were cursed, but they came back with God's blessing through their obedience, and that obedience was difficult, but now they get to serve the Lord as Levites in the temple. Now we're going to move on here a little bit. Does anybody have any first questions, comments here about the Levites? Yeah, Brian. Oh, not the Levites, but the tribe of Simeon, real quick. Um, I'm looking at a map here around the 12 tribes, and in my map, Simeon is basically completely, it's just a little dot inside of the nation, uh, the nation of Judah, yeah. and it's completely surrounded on all sides, and whenever they mention the southern tribes, it's always just Judah or Benjamin, they never even mention Simeon. Eventually, Simeon is controlled by Judah. Like I said, Simeon almost just ceases to exist as a tribe, and it's part of the curse once again, that they were just scattered. The Levites are scattered too, they get no tribal on their land, and so therefore they are scattered literally throughout the nation of Israel as well too. They at least get to come back and serve the Lord, though. Any other quick questions, comments here, about How the Levites got to be who they are. Alright, real quick, just a couple little points. I love this type of stuff. Follow along if you want. If you want, you can turn off for about five minutes and come back to it. Please remember, when it came out of Exodus, the law was not set up yet. The people that served God were your firstborn. So when you came out of Egypt in the Exodus, if you had a firstborn son, he automatically served the Lord. It doesn't matter what tribe you were from. That's how it worked. Once this happened now with the Levites in Exodus 32, God changed the system. Now the only people that served were Levites. So if you were part of that generation that came out of Egypt, your firstborn child would have served, your firstborn son would have served God in the tabernacle until the Levites took over. We can piece together some information here. If you were a Levite, you started serving at about 25 years of age. Now David lowered that age to about 20. So about 20, 25, you need to start serving in the temple, and you quit serving around 50. Now, at age 50, you are not allowed to do the big stuff anymore. You're allowed to go help the other Levites, but you weren't allowed to go carry stuff and do stuff. The best commentary I've heard on that is just a simple one. They were afraid as the men were getting older, they would drop something. And maybe that's the truth. So you started serving 20, 25, you served until about 50. We know during the time of David, there was 38,000 Levites serving, which means on a regular basis at the temple, if you just go to the temple during any regular day, there'd be over 1,000 Levites serving at the temple. Now, if you were a Levite, you were divided into 24 different groups, and you would serve twice a year at the temple, and you had a shift where you would go, and you would go serve at the temple, and once you were done, you'd go back to your area or land where you live. The idea of being the Levites scattered all around is that they could help serve the people in that capacity in that way. So would you actually come to the temple twice a year, and you would serve in that area in that capacity. Now, as we mentioned before, if you were a descendant of Aaron, you got to be a priest. Here, let's get into our First Chronicles now. Look at First Chronicles 6, verse 49. 1 Chronicles 6, verse 49. But Aaron and his sons offered sacrifices on the altar for an offering, and on the altar of incense for all the work of the most holy place to make atonement for Israel, according to all that Moses was serving God and commanded. Only Aaron's descendants were priests. Now, look at 1 Chronicles 6, verse 1. The sons of Levi were Bershon, Kohath, and Merah. Now, if you were one of those groups, not a descendant of Aaron, you served as a 
Levite. And you had a specific job. Very specific job. Jump to Numbers 3. Numbers 3, please. This is fascinating stuff to me because this is how it worked during the time of Christ. This is how it would be all organized, all taken care of. This is not some type of confusion of a show at the temple. Hey, what's my job today? We need somebody over the butcher block. You know, I got a lot of lambs coming. No, what's your job today? No, I don't know where they sent me. No, they knew exactly what they were doing. Okay, look at this. Numbers chapter 3. Let's start with the first one. If you're a Gershonite, Gershonite, Numbers 3, starting verse 25. The duties of the children of Gershon of the tabernacle meeting included the tabernacle, the tent, the discovery, the screen of the door of the tabernacle meeting, the screen for the door of the court, the hangings of the court, which are around the tabernacle and the altar, and the courts according to all the work relating to them. If you're a Gershonite, your job is the tent. Every time they move Gershonites, you pick the tent up, you move the tent, you set the tent up. That is your job. Jump ahead now to verse 31. The Kohathites. The third duty included the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altar, the utensils, the sanctuary, which they ministered, the screen, and all the work relating to them. Remember, Levi had three sons, Gershon, Kohath, and Merah. Depending on your descendants, that's what you did. So if you're a Kohath, you moved all the utensils. So now imagine you're back during tabernacle time, time to move. So you're Gershonite, you know your job, take the tent down, move the tent. You know that if you are a Kohath, your job, you get all the furniture around. You get to do that. The last group there, verses 36 and 37, the Merites, and the appointing duty of the children of Moriah, included the boards of the tabernacle with bars, pillars, and sockets, utensils, all the work relating to them, and the pillar of the court all around, which are sockets or pegs and the boards. So, if you're trying to move the tent, you're moving all the utensils that hold up the tent. And it's, this is how the system works. And when they got into the actual temple, you can start seeing their daily responsibilities in the temple. Go back, if you will, at least to First Chronicles. Here's a day in the life, if you will, of the regular Levites of what they had to do. You kind of get a chance to see what they did. First Chronicles chapter 9, please. So if you were a Levite, here's your daily responsibilities. Starting in verse 17, you had gatekeepers. Gatekeepers. 4,000 different Levites were gatekeepers. You know what gatekeepers did? Don't you gates. Now, why is that such a big deal? Because you're also temple security. So, let's say a robot decides to sneak into the temple. You're at the gate. You open the gates. You shut the gates. You keep the gates set. What happens if a leper decided to come in that was unclean? You take care of that. You're there protecting that temple. There's thousands of Levites that were gatekeepers. So at this time, there's at least a thousand Levites serving every day. There's a group that's taking care of the animals. There's a group that's washing up the utensils. There's a group that's opening the doors and shutting the doors. And it's all set on what time the sacrifice has started or what time everything ends. You have all this responsibility. Jump ahead to verse 27. Same chapter, First Chronicles 9. And they lodged all around the house of God because they had responsibility and they were in charge of opening every morning. They had responsibility. I just heard a great quote recently. You know what the most dangerous man is? A man that has no responsibility. There's a lot of truth to that. If you do not have a responsibility, you don't have something the Lord's laid on your heart, you just got to kind of wander well, I have responsibilities. So I gotta make sure the bills are paid, I gotta get going to work and stuff. Okay, yeah. It's just people put me one of those minimal responsibilities. I'm talking responsibilities that affect the impact of the 
God called you to do with your family? What has God called you to do in church? What has God called you to do in service? There are so many, and I'm not picking, don't take this the wrong way. There are so many people that claim to be Christians, but they have no spiritual responsibility. And they just kind of float through the wall of Christ. What we see here with the Levites, they all have responsibility. Some of them are opening gates, some of them are killing animals, some of them are washing utensils, some of them are just singing. Verse 33, same chapter. These are the singers, head of the Father's house of the Levites, who lodged in the chambers and were free from other duties, for they were employed in that work day and night. You had worship leaders, Levites. And that's what they did. And they kept the music going all day, and it looks like all night. And they mentioned some of these guys, some of these servants and some of these worship leaders that they did. And you see this, and these guys that did stuff, one guy's name is Haman. If you look at verse uh, 39, same chapter, it mentions his brother there. Excuse me, um, Haman, and it mentions his brother Asaph, that's back in chapter 6. And Haman wrote Psalm uh, 88, Asaph wrote uh, 12 psalms actually. These guys were worship leaders. So you have singers, you have cleaners, you have security, you have gatekeepers. You have a thousand plus people taking care of this, and this is what the Lord wanted. And what an honor and privilege it was. In fact, this privilege was such a privilege that this is why God said, You don't even get land in your rights. Because this is your privilege and responsibility to serve the Lord. Now, think about this for a second. When's the last time you looked at serving God as a privilege and a responsibility? We kind of forget that, don't we? Serving God becomes a burden. Show up in the nursery and just hold your babies. <laughs> right? We joke about this live show up on Sunday. And you see Tony, the head of the children's ministry, maybe a week on right for it. You're thinking, I know why he's coming to you. Because somebody called him sick, right? We don't like responsibility. We like showing up at uh, 6.59 and eating the egg of lunch. Now, I'm not trying to think, I'm not trying to do that. But it's amazing how so often the things that matter most in Deacons of eternity. We really don't put a lot of responsibility. We'll never be late for work. We never miss this. We never do that. But the deep things of God, as a priest, I'm a priest that serves in a temple. My body, you are the same. The Lord says, What's your responsibility? One of the things that Richard and I have been praying about is starting once we get through the Christmas holiday season here, starting in January, is really making a focus as a body of Christ. Saying, what is the Lord asking us to do on an individual basis? There's this great verse that says, Make your calling and election short. Lord, what have you called me to do? What have you chosen me to do in 2016? And how can I serve you in that capacity? Because you see these Levites and you see the responsibilities they had, and, and it's just amazing how this just all comes together. There's Levites worshiping, there's Levites opening doors, there's Levites cleaning up the cake cans. Everything is done orderly, and you have your week of service, and God says, this is how it's supposed to be. What a blessing that is. Go ahead if you can in 1 Corinthians 12. Anybody have any quick questions, comments, or anything the Levites in their service, in their ministry, and what they did on a day-in, day-out basis? Becca? What they were okay. The answer to your question is yes. But let me explain my answer. And for those listening in radio, that can just ask me to consider more holy people. 
holy in the sense of the biblical definition of being separated or set apart. Yes. They were not more holy in the sense of closer to God. We use the term holy in our present day society as someone who seems to be closer to God. No, but they were separated for a special purpose for the Lord. So yes. Now, the beautiful thing about these Levites as well, too, that kind of goes along with what Becca was saying is all the jobs were just as important. There's an equality in all of these jobs. No, the ones that had to clean the, the, the pots and the pans are just as important as the gatekeeper, just as important as the people leading worship all day and night, just as important as the people that tore the tent up, picked the tent up. They were all equal, completely equal, and they knew their job, and they knew what they were called to do. And that's the beautiful part about it. No one is stepping on each other's toes. Now, that's great. Let's apply this now to the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are diversities of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in and all. Hey, that's the way the church is supposed to work. We are all priesthood, all serving the temple. But guess what? Verse 4, we all have different gifts. Not everybody's called to teach. Not everybody's called to lead worship. Not everybody's called to serve. Everybody has a different gift. Next one, verse 5. There are differences in ministries, but the same Lord. You've heard me joke out here many times before. If your car is broken, you don't want me working on it. You want the car care ministry people to work on it. There's different ministries. Now, now, if you have a Bible question, I hope you call Because car care people know nothing about the Bible. But there's different ministries. And I really used to struggle with that. I'm going to share this story with you before you've heard me say it before. When we first started the car care ministry, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I don't remember, I, you want know, I'm a pastor, I should be there. And so the first car care ministry we did, did it right out there, we had four cars show up. Oh, man, that was great. And I remember the first car care ministry, they let me get in under the car, and I actually did stuff. The second car care ministry, they let me just drive the cars up the ramps. That's all I was about. Third car, this is true, third car care ministry, James, why don't you check the tire pressures? Fourth car care ministry, James, why don't you just hang out with the people that brought the cars and just talk to them? Fifth car care ministry, James, you don't need to come. See, that's not my ministry. I know what my ministry is. Know what your ministry is. You may be saying, James, I don't know what my ministry is. Can I just really encourage you the last few weeks of 2015, fast and pray with the Lord's walking through 2016? Because a man that has no responsibility to be a man. What is God asking you to do? Next one. Different activities. Verse 6, that's the same God who works all in all. There's different activities, and that's completely okay. There is a family New Year's Eve event going on. Oh, that may not be your activity. There's a great Friday Ladies Bible study. I've never been to it. That would be awkward if I showed up. That's not my activity. And that's okay that the church has different activities that bless different segments, that bless different things. It's okay that the church has different ministries that bless different ministries. It's okay that there's different gifts. If we all have the same gift, certain things wouldn't be done. And that's the point that Paul's trying to make here. Look at verse 7. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Please do note the reason you have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because God says, I want you to bless the body of Christ. It is not about you. It's not about your attention. It's not about your glory. It's not about anything. Think of Christmas coming up here in a couple weeks. You can make a list. You can ask for specific gifts. But you're going to have that one crazy aunt or uncle that's going to give you something funky. 
but they won't do it. It's a gift. You accept it. God says, I have a gift for you. What's that gift? Verse 8, for one has given the word of wisdom to the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning spirit, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But look at this verse 11. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So you are a Levite. Boom. You're born now in the Old Testament. You're a Levite. Descendant of Aaron. You're a priest. You're going to kill animals the rest of your life. Okay? You're a descendant of Gershom. Guess what? You're picking tents up and you put them down. You're a descendant of Koah. You're going to be moving utensils and furniture around. You're a descendant of Merariah. You're going to be moving boards around. Some of you are going to be gatekeepers. Some of you are going to be worshiping all day. Some of you are going to be doing this and doing that. And the whole system together makes the temple flow. Same thing with the body of Christ. Some of you may be gifted to lead up a Bible study. You're going to be called to teach. You want the gifts of teaching, word of wisdom, and word of knowledge. You want that. Okay, thank God for the teachers. But you know what else I thank God for? People who get the help that come out in the church after Wednesday night. I thank God for the people that have the gift of administration and make sure that those get We thank God for the people that have the gift of encouragement or when we go to hospital visits. See, it's kind of interesting. For a lot of us, the only church we see is Wednesday, maybe for an hour or something, for an hour, an hour and a half. I, I've been out here at this church. I've been coming to this church since 93, so 22 years. I've been a pastor for 16. I still have people come up and ask me, Jesus, what do you do all day? Because we only see a couple hours, right? So I do nothing. That's why I was telling them. I just, I'm not even trying to do this anymore. I do nothing. Rich and I were going out to meet with a guy who was last year. We're sitting there talking to him, and we've known this guy for about a decade. We've been ministering to him, discipling him. So we're asking how work's going and everything. So we're eating lunch, and it was at Frisch to the point. I remember distinctly, he looked at us. He goes, so what do you guys do for a living? Well, we're pastors. Right, well, what do you do? That's what we do. It's enough to keep you guys busy all week. Because there's just so much that goes on behind the scenes. And really what church is, church is really not Sunday from 10 to 11, 30, or Wednesday from 7 to 8. That's very important. Church is 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. The body of Christ means the body of Christ. And what I see here with the Levites, they were constantly in this serving God at the temple. You are a priest that serves God at your temple 24 hours a day, seven days a week. What is that? I don't know, but you're part of this bigger system. Look at verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. You are one member of a big group of people that's part of the body of Christ, that's part of accountability and encouragement and support and help, and that's the way it's supposed to be. So when I read these chapters on the Levites and the organization and they did this and they did that, it's really easy to sit there and say, what's the point of that? The point is, guess what? We're just doing the same thing now. But it's us, the temple, through the Holy Spirit, that God has given in God's call. And when you see it from that perspective, you think, wow, I get to serve God every day at the temple. I wonder what he wants me to do. You know, 
there's this little phrase that Richard and I have been using a lot lately. It's, it's super simple. It's just simple. What's next? Okay, Lord, we love that person right now. What's next? Okay, Lord, we want to minister to that person. What's next? And it's just like, Lord, what's next? What do you want us to do? And that's exactly what it is. Lord, what's next? How can we serve you and love you today? How can we represent Jesus Christ to all the different people we want them to? What's next? Anybody got any quick questions here about the Levites or how that applies to us as the body of Christ here? So go on. Yeah, Mom. simple answer to that question is yes and no. Um, depends who you ask. I was doing some research on this before it actually before church tonight. They say in a certain group that says you can't trace it. But there's other groups that says nope, you can follow the lineage back. And they've even gotten to the point of where they can genetically supposedly be able to put groups of people together. And the groups that do believe that, and you mentioned exactly about Jimmy's name, Cohen, that, that is a number name for and if you get online, and this is all legitimate stuff, the nation of Israel is planning this. They want to rebuild the temple. And this is, you know, when I first heard that probably 15, 20 years ago, I was like fancy, you know, fanciful, I should say. No, this is what they want to do. They're, they're retraining the priesthood. They're trying to get the ashes of the red heifer. If you've ever followed the Old Testament, it's a big deal. They're remaking the utensils. You can get on the government of Israel's website and look at the, the garb. They've already started making it. So to answer your question, yes, there's enough people that believe that they can trace back their women to know what tribe they're actually from. It's fascinating stuff, people. There's going to be a temple rebuilt. And then we know that there's another temple that's going to be rebuilt that's going to be defiled by the Antichrist. There's actually two temples left. This temple's coming that's going to be rebuilt, and then there's going to be a millennial temple. Because during the millennial reign of Christ, they reinstitute animal sacrifices. And so there will be people going to the temple to do sacrifices. Now, before you think those sacrifices are there before the remission of sins, no, it's for basically what we would almost refer to as communion. When those animals are sacrificed, it's the visible reminder of what Christ did on the cross for us. So during the millennial reign of Christ for a thousand years, the temple's going to be up and running again, and the stuff's going to be going on. Check it out in Isaiah 66, last chapter of Isaiah. He talks about, hey, I'm going to call you for the Levites. It's fascinating stuff. Alright, let's bring this all together then for kind of our close. What you see going on here with this group of people is you see a group of people that we can relate to. They really screwed up. They were in the flesh. They did stuff they shouldn't have done. They had a town that circumcised and they went and killed all the men. Okay, let's relate that to us. I do stupid stuff. Things come out of my mouth that shouldn't come out of my mouth. Thoughts go through my mind which should not go out of my mind. My eyes rest on things that they should not rest on. My mind dwells on things that should not. I am disqualified for any service to the Lord in any way whatsoever. Just like the Bible. But, Exodus 32, Moses comes and says, I need somebody to stand up for me for the Lord. Who's it going to be? The Levites show up. God's, uh, Moses says, get a sword on start judging. Christ came to you at one time and said, I have chosen you. I want you. Do you want me? And you responded to that call. And at that point, your sin, your grace is gone. And now you get to serve the Lord in the temple. 
Now, just like the Levites, they had no home, they had no land, their whole purpose in life was to serve in the temple, then go back and serve God's people in the land that they lived. Guess what? You don't have a home. The Bible makes it clear. You are a sojourner passing through. Be careful about turning this world into your home. Your job is to do what? You go serve in the temple when God calls you to your temple is a body. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And then when you're not serving at the temple, you're just loving God's people wherever you're around representing Christ to die in the world. God has a specific plan, and just like the Levites, be it, be it worshiping or cleaning or gatekeeping or what have you, God has a specific gift in ministry for you. He does. And I highly encourage you, if you're sitting there going, what is God's calling on my life? And I don't know this, and I want to know what He's called me to do. I encourage you, go reread 1 Corinthians 12. Go read Romans chapter 12. Go read Ephesians 4, where it lists all the different callings and gifts. And just start praying and fasting with that. Lord, what have you called me to do? Because as the Levites had a specific purpose, we have a specific purpose in all that we do and say. And I just want to say this quote one more time. I heard this reading really quickly. A man that has no responsibility is a dangerous man. If we do not feel we have a spiritual responsibility to the body of Christ and to the Lord, going to drift through a walk of Christ. And as we drift through a walk of Christ, we're going to kind of say, what are you hearing? I mean, what's this whole crazy for Jesus type thing? I mean, I just go to, go to work, come home, do it again the next day. There's more than that. There's more. Let's find out what that calling is, what that election is, and then let's go deeper in Christ and all that we say and all that we do. Like I said, that phrase always hits me, what's next? Okay, Lord, I love that person. What's next? Okay, I encourage that person. What's next? Okay, Lord, I was in the Word this morning. What a beautiful idea that is. It becomes exciting when you start looking at it from that perspective. I'm part of a royal priesthood that serves at the temple, representing Jesus Christ, and all that you would say. So, Lord, what's next? What's the next time for? Anybody have any final questions, comments, about anything here before it goes up? Hey, you made it through nine chapters of genealogy. Jesus can return now. So, good job. Starting next week, starting next week, we get into the actual book of Chronicles, where it starts giving the uh, story of uh, Saul as king and David as king, and so we're going to start getting into that. And the way we're going to teach the Chronicles is a lot of similar to what we talk through Job. We're going to talk about Saul next week, the good, the bad, the ugly of Saul, and then we're going to move on. And just like it says in Corinthians, what can we learn from these people, and how does that apply for our world? Hey, normally we have a time of prayer after church here, but since we have a Christmas program on Sunday, it's going to get really crazy here for a little bit. we got people coming to tear down the stage, we got stuff from the back coming up to the front, so we're not going to be able to do prayer here. But if you have something that's really heavy on your heart, you say, gosh, I need to pray about this. Grab Rich, grab me, grab Renee, or you know, grab one of the gals there from the ladies' ministry. We'd love to get a chance to pray for you before we go. So, hey, let's pray, and we'll come out you go. Heavenly Father, we get to serve and look at what we get to do. Um, we're a priest in the temple, and I love you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing, what you've done. And I pray for someone here tonight that says they want more. What's next? Help them to see and make their calling and election sure. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing, what you've done. Amen. Okay, Christmas program Sunday, 10 o'clock. Let's get the outreaches going on too, and uh, we'll see you next week.